welcome to our 17th episode of Two Tankers and a Cad. We're your host, I'm Charlie. And this is Russell. Well, we're going to go out with some uh, announcements, but I think the first thing I want to bring up is, uh, listen, if anybody knows anyone in North Dakota, get them to download at least one of our podcasts. North Dakota is now the only state in the United States that does not have any downloads. We've got everybody else except North Dakota. Wow. <laughs> and most people are like, well, nobody lives in North Dakota. <laughs> yeah. So if you know oh, somebody. Surely there's an oil man or something up there that'll well, get bored. And I'm hoping one of our semi-truck drivers will ah, just pull in and just download yeah, it on there. That'd work too. Um, Russ, I know we're international now. What are we looking towards, you know, our numbers in the United States, Canada, yeah, as of right now, um, still the United States has got the most downloads at about 1,400. Uh, Canada and the United Kingdom's kind of going back and forth, about 170, 185 apiece in that area. Big country that people's downloaded from is Australia, believe it or not. Kind of interesting that we have a well, following in Australia. We can always count on the boys down under. Well, you're darn right. Um, what about Germany? Yeah, and in fifth place comes Germany, uh, about 29 downloads so far from them. So they're about the excellent fifth most downloaded country. Well, I know some of our listeners, uh, English is their second language. And for you guys to turn in, uh, tune in and listen to us, we really appreciate it. And uh, I know we've been getting comments, well, we tune in because we want to listen to your accents. And I'm like... We ain't got accents. Whoa. You got accents. <laughs> We've got hick accents, I think, is what they little, consider us here in this part of the United States. Yeah, a little hillbilly running through us. Yeah. Hey, Russ, tell us about the Patreon page. Yes, folks, uh, don't forget about our Patreon page. You can get to it at www.patreon.com backslash two tankers and cat. Uh, once you get to Patreon, all you have to really do is just, I think you can search for two tankers and cat. And our page will come up, and please check that out. And if you can support us, feel free to check out the extra content. Um, we're adding stuff all the time to that. And believe it or not, we're actually getting ready to go on a couple trips, I think. And and we will add most of that content, um, special content, to our Patreon page. Um, and our patrons will have access to that. Uh, we do have the three different levels of giving. Yeah, we've got the M3 Stewart level. Um, I believe it's at $2. And you actually get the special content there. And uh, we've also got a couple other levels. The M4 Sherman level, I believe it's at $4 a month. And the M1 Abrams level is at about $8 a month. So uh, we would truly appreciate any support that you guys can give. And the main thing I wanted to say is the people that are at the M1 Abrams level, if we're in your area, we'll meet up with you and lunch is on us. And believe me, <laughs> me and Russ know how to eat. Yes, yes, so, we do. So uh, yeah. we get in your neck in the neighborhood, uh, you definitely want to come up and let us buy you lunch. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll sit around and yeah. have a great lunch and we'll tell yeah. you all about tanks that you uh, got and questions I do, about. And I do know that uh, here pretty quick we'll probably... In the uh, Indiana area is yeah. what we're kind of looking at, and we'll keep everybody posted on that and and where we're at and 
and definitely that'll be all over Facebook. We're going to try to do some uh, live stuff from there, and uh, we're going to try to do some drone footage from there for our Patreon. Um, one of the other things uh, people have noticed is uh, we've started streaming uh, some war games, uh, War Thunder, uh, World of Tanks, World of Airplanes, uh, Armored Warfare, just all the basically digital tank you know, platforms that they have out there. And we're going to start streaming those either on Thursday, Friday, maybe even Saturday nights. Uh, Russ will take one night, I'll take one night, or I'll do one week, he'll do one week. And uh, basically, if you're a Patreon user, uh, we'll give you our Discord, and uh, you can come in and platoon with us. Sweet. And uh, play War Thunder. We'll play whatever you yeah. want to play. Oh, yeah. We'll try, you know what? We'll even stream hearts if, <laughs> if you're like, listen, I don't want to do any games. I just want to sit around and talk tanks and play hearts. I'm like, oh, we hey, can do that, too. There we go. Yeah, I'd like to give a shout-out to Josiah Hensley. I got a couple of emails from him. And he's actually wanting to platoon with us on World of Tanks. Uh, he's also interested in, in the Discord channel. Um, we're still in the process of getting that set up 100%. And more than likely, that'll be for our Patreon users and for our patron. Um, that kind of gives us a little support there. But, yeah, I mean, it's glad to hear from Josiah and his interest in tanks. I mean, he's he's real happy we're doing this podcast and... I think, you know, Josiah, don't hold us to this, but I don't think you need to join Patreon. I mean, if you want to, great, but I think we'd like to platoon with you because you sound like a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Um, who else did we got there, Russ? Yeah, I also want to give out to a shout-out to John McCauley. He's actually from Ayrshire, Scotland, believe it or not. I Across bet, the big pond there. I bet we killed that. Oh, I'm sure I did, yes. Area Shire. Area Shire. I boy. If you wanna if you wanna message us back, John, go ahead and, and tell us how it's pronounced because we're just a couple of hick Americans. And <laughs> yep. Poor old John's gonna say, Listen, I'm gonna need you to come to the Bovington Tank Museum so I can take a swing at Charlie. <laughs> you know what? Everybody knows Charlie kills the names on everything. I but he plays on the EU server? Yeah, I believe he does. Plays World of Tanks on the EU server. Uh, you are in luck. Uh, I have an EU account, and I'll be more than happy to play. Sweet. I got up to Tier 8 in that. So we're going to get the, get John, and we'll platoon some and have some good times. Um, he was talking about the uh, Russian uh, flying tank in World War II, the IL-2. And uh, I actually have that on my uh, World of Warplanes. Oh, sweet. So uh, we cool. are go- we're going to do an episode on flying tanks. Yeah. Um, I, I want to do the Warthog, uh, the IL-2, and there's a bunch of other anti-tank aircraft that you wouldn't believe. Yeah. And uh, I'm kind of thinking I'm, we could put the Apache helicopter I'm in there. Probably and a, put that one in there, the too. Hind. Yes, we could. Because we do like the Russian Hind. Uh, okay, there's a lot of people that live in our and uh, <laughs> some of our listening area that are like, you would not like the hind helicopter if it was flying over your, you know, your town. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> uh, John also sent us a picture of his tank dog. Yeah, it's pretty sweet there. Yeah, it's a, a, a brown lab. Looks like a brown lab, and the name's Cooper. Spelled a little bit different than normal, but yeah. C O U P A R. Yeah. Boy, we're going to kill that. Oh, hey. <laughs> um, he says it's named after a town in 
up north of him in Scotland, and it's Cooper Angus. And I'm like, okay, we just killed that name, uh, too. I'm sure we did. You know, that's why people tune in. It they're is, sitting it there is. going, wow, yeah. these hicks are terrible. A couple of dumbasses that can't even pronounce anything. Now, you said on our Patreon, on our first level with Stuart, you want to talk about the Stuart tank today? Well, I, I might as well. All right. I believe it's the next one on the list, isn't it? All right. Okay, to start off, uh, I would like to say uh, we will be covering the M5 Stuart today, a tank we love. It is actually an upgrade from the M3 Stuart. I personally dislike the U.S. Uh, M3. Everybody says, well, is there that much difference between the M3 and M5? Yeah, not much. The same guns. It's just, I have history with the M5. I, I've got to uh, actually stand on top of the M5 as it was rolling. I think someday that me and Russ might invest in a Stuart, an M5, and do parades and stuff like that so we can actually have our very first tank. So we won't be digital tankers I anymore. Know, that would be nice. <laughs> but like uh, most U.S. tanks, uh, we improved and upgraded our stuff, and it went on to have a really long service uh, record. In fact, the M5A1 variants in, in other countries, it was in use up till 1996. So, Russ, start us off about the Stuarts. Yeah, the Stuarts were the first American crewed tanks to engage in combat in World War II. Uh, the first version, designated M3, went into production in 1941. Yeah, it was named after the Civil War Confederate General, Jeb Stuart. The uh, tank was designed for speedy scouting as an, and as an infantry support weapon. An improved version of the vehicle with a revised hull eventually was designated the M5 Stuart. Uh, make sure you check out our 2018 Halloween episode um, where you can actually learn a little more about the haunted tank comic book series i kind of wanted to throw that in there to kind of say that yeah, oh, we've, yeah. we've already talked about the, uh, the steward a little bit in, yeah. in a past episode there and, and and if you haven't heard uh the halloween episode uh, basically we just talk about the ghost division uh that was down there with Patton, and uh, we talk about the actual comic book uh the haunted tank series and uh that's actually kind of fun. If yeah. if you haven't read any of those comics, you, you should. Never thought there would ever be a tank comic book, but yeah, there's yeah. Been a few few issues out there. But getting back to the M3 Stuart, uh, both the M3 and M5 carried a 37-millimeter cannon, which was by most accounts underpowered for combat with German tanks. As a result, Stuarts were often limited to secondary roles. Though not everyone was displeased with the small tank's shortcomings, crews began calling the reliable and fast Stuart Honey. After a proud British driver remarked to the vehicle, she's a honey. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, it is The M5 is a wonderful tank, and I think I had problems with the M3 for the simple fact that it, when I consider tanks, Tanks should fight against tanks. And then the Stuart was actually, like you said, uh, a scout in anti-infantry. You know, I'm like, eh, it, it couldn't kill a tiger, you know? Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, it wasn't meant to. Uh, a lot of these soldiers, even the British, loved it because it drove so well. And there wasn't a lot of German tank action 
in certain areas. Yeah. But there was a lot of machine gun nests, and these stewards, they could machine gun these stewards all day long, and they'd just drive up there and use their thirty-seven mm-hmm. and wipe them out. And uh, in the Pacific, we're going to talk about a little bit about like that. But go ahead, Russ. Yeah, the M5s fought in the last phases of North Africa through the invasion of Italy, France, and into Germany. In the Pacific, both Army and Marine Corps units operated M5s, which were a more even match to lighter, smaller Japanese tanks and armored cars. Right. And the fun that... Or I shouldn't say fun. The interesting thing about the Stuart in the Pacific, even though it only had a 37 millimeter gun, it was doing really well against Japanese tanks. Yeah. Now, some people will bring up, and we'll talk about this later, about um, the Stuart's first encounter in the Philippines, and we'll talk about that later in the episode. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just an amazing tank. Uh, one of the things I found amazing about it, uh, the M3 had an airplane motor. Uh, wow, that's interesting. That well, uh, yeah. So when you listen to the actual M3 that actually has the airplane motor in it, it's actually kind of sounds I would real, really effective. Be kind of unique, yeah. But uh, who who thought of that? Wow, like, yeah. Let's, let's get a light tank and put a, an airplane air. motor in it. Yeah. Dang. But after uh, the war started really kicking up and they needed the airplane motors, then they just put in a Cadillac motor. And uh, if there's anything I know how to fix, it's Cadillacs. Cadillacs. I've, I've had a bunch of Cadillacs in my life. So I'm like, hey, if we ever uh, get a tank, let's make sure and get a Stuart because I can work on that engine. <laughs> the Stuart was also a lend-lease tank to the Soviet Union. Uh, Soviet M3s along with the M3 Lee, the M3 Half-Track, the M3 Stuart was sent via Lend-Lease to the Soviets with just under a thousand units of the light tank being received by the Soviets. Now, I know the M3 wasn't really liked uh, about the, the by the Soviets. Uh, they were more interested in getting the big tanks. They, they were like... Um, we really don't need to scout because we're pushing. <laughs> yeah. The M3s received by the Soviet Union were from various production series identified from their turrets. Uh, early shipments featured tanks with the D38976 welded turret. Following this, they would have the D58101 turret, with later deliveries featuring the D58133 33 turrets. So they actually was designated by the three different turrets that they that they received on them. Well, what, how did the Soviets designate the tank? The Soviets designated the tank as an M3L. Which the L was just for light. For light, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like I said, it was not especially liked by the Soviets uh, so much that they actually sent them to the Manchurian front. You know, they were dealing with some of the Japanese and stuff like that. And if you think about it, they they got almost a thousand of these, and they're like, these are really effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in, in the terrain down there, uh, along the Manchurian Front, and they're really capable of handling uh, Japanese infantry and Japanese tanks. Some of the criticisms the Soviets had include the weak armory or, or weak armor and weaponry. Uh, the narrow tracks were not suited for the Russian winter or muddy autumn. 
the flammable high octane uh, non-standard aviation fuel that that could be a yeah. huge problem oh too. i could just imagine with the, the aviation fuel yeah yeah and like we were saying to relieve wartime demand for the radial uh, aero engines uh, used in them three a new version was developed using a uh, twin cadillac v8 uh, automotive or automobile engines and the twin hydromatic transmission operating uh, through the transfer case so the Stuart was a good tank for certain areas yes and it was meant for scouting and anti-infantry and there stuff like go. that or smaller tanks like your japanese mm-hmm. but when you get into stalingrad in the deep snow oh, it, it wasn't made for that i know i, and, I could see that and, and against these other you know panzer threes with the high velocity uh 50 cal and then you got the panzer fours they were trying to fight these german panzers and they weren't made for that but when it got to, down to the Manchurian front, they were like, oh, hey, these are fast, and they don't break down, and they're reliable. These are honeys. It's just where you're yeah, deploying that there tank. You go. Yeah, it had its purpose. I mean, like you said, for infantry support and scouting. The uh, version with the Cadillac automobile engines, it was actually a quieter version, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. A little bit cooler and actually roomier inside the tank. And the automatic transmission also simplified crew training. So uh, that version had a you know an auto hate, transmission. I hate using the terminology peasants, but you know, that's the terminology that history uses. That these were Russian farmers. Uh they weren't familiar with tractors. They're doing like plows and you know, hard hand dug tools. So when they get in these Shermans they're easy to drive Mm -hmm. yeah in the right area in the right place this is a great tank exactly keep it simple pretty much i mean and that's what they tried to do and one of the things i've always criticized about the stewards you know even when they upgraded to the m5 uh they kept the 37 millimeter gun and you how many times have i talked about yeah the 37 was beginning at the beginning was okay yeah but they upgraded and they upgraded even went from the m3 to the m5 and this kind of left behind during the war i mean it was just it needed to upgrade a lot sooner at least put a 50 cal yeah you know at least uh, you know a 50 millimeter gun on at least high high velocity did i ever tell you i hate the 37 millimeter gun (laughs) uh even the german general uh, heinz kadarian hated the gun but since they were laying around they had to use them and people say, wait, wait a minute, you're talking about Heinz Kaderian. He goes, yeah, the Panzer three that we just did the episode on it. He told them, don't put that 37 millimeter gun Didn't in Didn't want they... anything to do with it, yeah. So he went to Hitler, and even Hitler said, oh, my God, don't use the 37. And he called them, and they ignored him. Yeah. They're like, well, yeah. we got them, so we're going to use them. I... So if you got Heinz Kaderian and Hitler coming to your, you know, sending you letters, don't put them on there, and you keep putting them on there. I don't know what else you can do. I don't don't know. Uh, Go ahead, Russ. I'm sorry. Yeah, the M5 gradually replaced the M3 in production from 1942, and after the M7 project proved unsatisfactory, was succeeded by the light tank M24 in 1944. Mm -hmm. Uh, Total M5 and M5A1 tank production was right around 8,885, and an additional... 
1778 M8 75 millimeter howitzer motor carriages. Uh, and that was based on the M5 chassis with an open turret, top turret, um, were also produced. You know, uh, again, we just talked about a tank, uh, the M7 project, and it was meant to replace all that. And the M7 was just a failure, and that's just another tank down I, the, I know. we're going to have to talk about down You're the right. future. You're right. Um, well, let's talk about the second point. And the second point is something that me and Russ really enjoy. Um, we're going to talk about this part of the why I love the M5 Stewart. And, and it has a special place in Russ's heart. We're going to talk about the Satan, uh, the Satan Zippo tank. Um, Russ, go ahead and start us off with that. Yes, it's very interesting. I hope you folks out there find it interesting too. Uh, one of the Stuart variants was a flamethrower tank called the Satan. Uh, about 40 Ronson flamethrower units were shipped to the Central Pacific early in 1944 after they were requested by famous Lieutenant General Holland Howling Mad Smith of the five amphibious corps. Yeah, you gotta you gotta love a general that has the nickname Howling Mad. Howling Mad, that is <laughs> that's new to me. Could you that's... imagine? Oh, Howling Mad on there. He goes, "Hey, listen, I got forty romps and flamethrowers. These thirty-seven <laughs> millimeter gun, guns, I, I, take them off and put on flamethrowers." So you can see where this is getting. Good. I just liked another story about. I got that nickname myself. <laughs> Might have to look at that. You know what? That'd be a good listener yeah, question. It would. It really if, would. If you know why Howling Mad got his name, please yes. uh, send us a comment and we'll give you a shout out. Fill us in here. In the Central Pacific, um, the flamethrower unit tanks actually took part in demonstrations for the heads of the respective services. So impressed was Howling Mad Smith that he approved the equipment. Uh, the Ronson was mounted in the turret of the mothballed obsolete M3A1s, and to mount the weapon, the 37 millimeter gun main armament was removed. Good. <laughs> exactly, yes. The mantlet was retained, but a wide tube was introduced into the void left by the absent gun barrel to protect the flame projector. Oh, okay. So they've kept the gun mantlet and the armor and everything. Basically, they're just sticking out a tube now. Yeah, stuck a tube out to actually, and it just protected the, the actually protected the flame projector. Did they keep the machine guns? Ah, the coaxial machine gun was retained on the right side of the flame aperture, though some vehicles did have their bow machine guns deleted. I can understand that. Because, yeah. you know, the leaking stuff. Yeah, I can yeah. understand that. But you still have your coaxial right next to the exactly yeah you're you're still laying down some serious fire with that 30 caliber on the inside of the tank a huge 170 gallon fuel tank was introduced to give the weapon as much burn time as possible 170 gallons 170 gallon fuel tank wow That'll light your cigar for oh, your people. Oh, man. <laughs> light a few at a time, probably. Uh, how long did the it shoot out? I mean, what was yeah, the projector, the flame projector, had a range of up to about 80 yards. So almost an entire American football field. <laughs> wow. Um, and again, we're using yards. And we should know, do yes. millimeters. Somewhere I can hear uh, our friend <sighs> Craig Moore and our no, rest yeah. of our UKs kicking us. We apologize now. <laughs> Oh, did it have any unfortunate side effects? 
Yeah, um, this particular flamethrower conversion had an unfortunate side effect. The piping connected the projector to the fuel tank, limited the turret traverse to 180 degrees left and right. Oh, so it couldn't use the turret all the way around. Yeah, because of all the... But when you're kicking out 80 foot of flaming death... 180 degrees is still quite a bit of right. traverse. And there's not anything that's going to be get on fire run behind you. And if it's on fire, you don't care. <laughs> um, and actually, with, with all this coming together, the M3A1 Satan was born. Now, how many did they finally make of these? In total, 24 of these improvised flamethrower tanks were produced by Army and Navy mechanics on Hawaii in time for the Marianas operations. These new tanks were formed into dedicated flamethrower companies in the Marines' 2nd and 4th Tank Battalions. Okay, so we've talked about the 2nd and 4th Tank Battalions, uh, how they actually fought Japanese tanks and stuff, but they brought these stewards up. And these um, Japanese soldiers would build these concrete bunkers and they would hide in caves and, and build these other earth, uh, you know, storage areas and stuff like that where they could uh, put their ammo and machine guns and basically tunnels. And here comes this steward and it just shoots flames straight down the cave. I and, know. You know, and... That. But, but but you got to think, though, at the time, you got to give credit to Howling Mad Smith that that he saw a need for this. Yeah. And, and they probably did see a need to to get in there with some type of a flamethrower tank to... When you think about having an 18-year-old Marine having to charge a concrete bunker that's covered with machine guns to get close enough to throw a hand grenade in, mm-hmm. yeah. you're, you're losing good oh, wow. people... When mm. you can just drive this flamethrower yeah. right up to the front yeah. and just hose them. Because they can machine gun this oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Bullet. Yeah, there's going to be enough armor on them to mm-hmm. keep the machine gun bullets from ammunition from actually penetrating. So how many did each battalion get? The vehicles were shared between the two battalions with 12 Satans each. Uh, the battalions received three new M5A1 light tanks each to provide gunnery support for the flamethrowers. Now, this is a cool. great idea. Yeah. So each battalion gets 12. You know, they had 24. So they've split them up evenly. And then they give them three of these M5A1 stewards to help them go through the jungles, through the sand, and, and give them actual gun support, you know, with the 37-millimeter gun and help protect these because their turrets can turn 360. Sure, sure. Okay, so they're they're so valuable to the Marines and everything, they're like, listen, we're going to assign a regular Stuart tank to protect that. A darn good idea. Yeah. The Satans saw their first action on June 15th, 1944, during the landings on Saipan. Uh, the tanks were seldom deployed all at once, often being fielded four tanks at a time with gunnery support from one M5A1. They love these Satan tanks so much that they're deploying its own tank to protect them. Yeah. That adds to say something. You know, these Marines are like, wow. I hate to say it, the Marines commanders probably weren't really familiar with this. Kind of tell us about that. Yeah, uh, the Marine commanders were not well versed in the concept of flame tanks. And as such, the Satan was probably not used as much as it could have been. Well, these Marines aren't really armored 
yeah, experts. Yeah, at, at that point in time, yeah. And here's the general saying, hey, listen, here's four of these, but they get their own tank to protect them. And they're like, ooh, the general doesn't want to lose any of these. Maybe we don't want to employ them. So they don't know how good these things are at first. After the bitter fighting of the initial days of the assaults, the commander soon, soon learned of the Satan's effect. Tell us a little bit about that. They were used in great numbers, clearing Japanese cave defenses and mop-up operations until the declaration that Saipan was secured on the July 9th of 1944. Now, we talked about, you know, they'd get in these caves and they'd barricade themselves up. And, and instead of charging Marines up there to go in and get these guys who are not coming out, they can just drive the Stuart straight up there and flame it. I'm telling you. And what darn, a, darn good idea. Yeah, saving Marines' lives. In mop-up, they would sometimes bypass machine gun nests and stuff like that because they knew that machine gun nest sure. wouldn't pick up. Sure. So they'd mark it on the map and tell the, you know, yeah. the flame units to come up. Sure. They'd just hose them down. I can't believe that thing carried 170, 170 gallons of fuel. Incredible. Of napalm, I guess, Incredible. or flames fuel. Um, go ahead and tell us a little bit more. The Marines developed a standard operating procedure when attacking Japanese bunkers or cave defenses. Uh, they would have supporting Sherman M4A2s um, that would actually crack open the bunker with round after round of high explosives. Uh, the Satan would then hose the area with flame, followed by infantry assault squads that would finish up the job. What they're talking about is you get a big concrete bunker or a cave defense, and they bring a Sherman up with the 105 or 75 shooting HE or high explosive rounds and just just blow them out of the water, you know, make big old holes in their defenses. And then they'd have the Satan come up there and shoot. This, just hose them. This 80, yeah. 80 yards of flame everywhere. And then they'd say, okay, infantry can move up. After everything's burned and they're like, okay, this is clear. There's nothing here now. It'd be interesting to know how many times they could actually use it with a 170-gallon tank. I don't know if there's anything out there about that or not. So they tested them out in Saipan, and then the Marines and the commanders that were using it radio them back saying, holy crap, uh, these things are great. Send them all here. <laughs> wow, Russ, uh, we haven't went over the Stuart stats. I, I just looked at our uh, thing. We haven't done the stats. Go ahead and give us the stats. The designer was the U.S. Army Ordnance Department. Uh, the manufacturers of the Stuart was the American Car and Foundry Company, uh, the Cadillac Division of General Motors, and Massey Harris. Now, that's a name you don't hear very often. That is often. something. Do you, you know where that actually comes from, though? No. They were producers of tractors. Really? In the United States. And I don't know if they're if they still produce tractors today. I know when I was a kid, I remember... I, at one point, they called them Massey Ferguson, I believe. They went in with another company. But, yeah, they've been around for years. So when were they produced? The Stuarts were produced between 1941 and 1944, with about 22,744 of them built. So about 23,000 of these were built. Wow. No wonder we can still find them today. Exactly. That's what I was getting ready to say. They're They're kind of popular amongst the 
reenactors, I guess you would say, here in the United States. Oh, um, I, like transport. No, I guess they're easily easily you, transported compared to some of the bigger tanks. But so your reenactors and stuff yeah. know that they can put these on a trailer and just bring them down sure, the road. Sure. Um, I know the M3 and the M5 uh, have similar specifications they change a little bit but why don't you give us the m5a1s uh production or specifications uh, late do the late production one yeah the uh, mass of these things were about thirty three thousand five hundred pounds and that comes out to about 15.20 metric tons uh, the length is about 4.84 meters and that comes out to about 15 foot and 10 and a half inches and that was with the sand shields and rear stowage box added on it too oh okay uh, the width of the stewart about 2.29 meters or about seven foot six inches wide and that was with the sand shields also gotta have the sand shields oh, exactly <laughs> keep that sand out of there what kind of crew did it have it had a crew of four had a commander a gunner a driver and an assistant driver now the assistant driver was also the bow gunner and bow gunner okay Okay, what kind of armor does this thing have? Well, it had armor ranging from about 9.5 millimeters, clear up to 63.5 millimeters. And that translates into 0.375 to 2.5 inches thick so, of armor. So when they're attacking from the front, they've got about 2.5 inches or 63.5 millimeters of frontal armor. So, okay. That's definitely going to stop, stop your small yeah. arms fire. Sure. Even a grenade, that'll stop. Yeah. Um, yeah right two and a half is quite a bit for a smaller tank like that. I, I'm i not sure how that compares to some of the others. but Now, I know the main armament is what we've been complaining about. It was a 37-millimeter gun, and they actually carried like 147 rounds of that. Quite a few. What was their uh, secondary armament? They also had three 30-caliber or 7.62 millimeter Browning M1919A4 machine guns, and they carried right around 6,700 rounds of that ammunition with them. That is a rolling uh, machine gun nest it, right there. It is. You know, and that's what it was really meant for. You know, if you got infantry troops out there, they're like, hey, we got a little cluster, you know, of troops down in the in a foxhole or something. The tank could roll up there and machine gun it and it throw would. a 37 round in it. All right. And we already talked about the twin engines, um, yeah. the Cadillac series. So if you need your Cadillac engine worked on, uh, I'll do that on the side. I don't know if I'd trust him, but you can try it. <laughs> what was the power and weight ratio? Yeah, the power weight ratio was about 14.48 horsepower per metric ton. It had a hydromatic four-speed forward transmission. And it had one reverse Nice. Gear. What kind of suspension did it have, though? It had a vertical volute spring suspension, or the VVSS. Oh, I, you know what? That's a good suspension. Um, what was the fuel capacity for that thing, though? It carried about 74 imperial gallons, 340 liters, or about 89 U.S. gallons. Well, we would call 89 gallons. What kind of operational range would that thing have? It would usually get out to about 100 miles. Or 160 kilometers. 160 kilometers, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sounds like my Cadillac. Yeah. You put in 89 gallons, you'd be wow. luckily to get 100. Have to figure out the... That's not real good. <laughs> it may be one point something per <laughs> mile per gallon. 
But uh, what kind of speed are we talking about? They would do about 36 miles an hour or about 58 kilometers an hour on, on the road. So th- these are fast. Not, not bad compared these... to some of the smaller tanks we've talked about in the past. I mean, that right. huge improvement. So they're fast rolling machine gun nests. You know, we got three different Browning machine guns racing through. Uh, I'm... Tons of ammunition to go along with it, too. I'm getting more and more impressed with this. I know. So, basically, like we said, it's a fast reconnaissance vehicle to support infantry with a honey of a ride. You know, the other thing, it was a honey. It was a honey. Okay, Russ, take us through uh, its combat history in World War II. Yeah, a little bit of the combat history of the Stuarts um, in North Africa from mid-November 1941 to the end of the year. About 170 Stuarts, in a total force of over 700 tanks, took part in Operation Crusader during the North African campaign with poor results. Now, we've kind of talked about Operation Crusader. That was mostly a uh, British or UK against... That's basically before we really got in... The Americans got into it. Like I said, uh, against the Panzer III, it wasn't really meant... For, to be in a tank no. versus tank. No. And that's what they were trying to use it for. But like we were saying, it was great for what it was supposed to be doing. This is despite the fact that the M3 was superior or comparable in most regards to most of the tanks used by the Axis forces. The most numerous German tank, the Panzer III Ossoff G, had nearly identical armor and speed to the M3 Stuart. And both tanks' guns could penetrate the other tank's front armor from beyond 1,000 meters, or 3,300 feet. So, it was comparable. Pretty close matchup, To the yeah. Panther three. they just weren't using it the way it should have been used. Yeah, exactly. And, and if you, we're going to talk about Operation Torch, when the Americans very, very first got in there, and they uh, went after Rommel. And uh, if you haven't studied that, you might want to look into that. That was a disaster because they did not know what to do with their tanks. To make a long story short, they had uh, Germans had set up 88s camouflaged and told the Shermans and the Stuarts, "Hey, go charge that." Oh man! Yeah, you can imagine what. Interesting. Yeah, the most numerous Italian tank and second most numerous Axis tank overall, the Fiat 1913-40 was much slower than the Stuart, had slightly weaker armor all around, and could not penetrate the Stuart's front hull or turret armor at a thousand meters, whereas the Stuart's gun could penetrate any spot on the M13-40. So the designers and stuff are saying, no, 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 you guys don't understand. They'll stand face-to-face with these Panzer III's, and they'll definitely kill these Italian tanks, no problem. But the commanders were using them wrong. Although the high losses suffered by Stuart-equipped units during the operation had more to do with the better tactics and training of the Africa Corps than the apparent superiority of German armored fighting vehicles used in the North African campaign, the operation revealed that the M3 had several technical faults. Mentioned in the British complaints were the 37mm M5 gun and poor internal layout. And once again, the 37mm gun, we've already... They're like, we're not happy Showed our it. dislike about it already, so... And they had it laid out wrong. Laid, it, laid out wrong. The two-man turret crew was a significant weakness, and some British units tried to fight with three-man turret crews. 
Yeah. Tried to add the extra man. Yeah, for a loader and well, sure. you know you're in the fight it's time to throw rounds they're like hey get up here and he's like it's awful cramped oh, we don't care get in here the steward also had limited range which is a severe problem in the highly mobile desert warfare as units often outpaced their supplies and were stranded when they ran out of fuel well we've talked about it had about 100 miles worth of range and you know, these guys are out there speeding across, and then they're burning fuel. Outpaced their fuel yep. supply. And they just ha- sat there. And if you're out of gas, oh, you're, you're a sitting duck. Yeah. Man. So, again, like everybody's saying, it wasn't the steward's fault. It's not the fault of the tank. It's just bad tactics yes. and superior tactics from Rommel. I mean, let's face it. Rommel knew what he was doing, tactical. Yeah, you know, you know, in the war, and these guys were running out of gas, and they were sitting there. Man, bad idea. But on the positive side, Cruz liked its relatively high speed and mechanical reliability, especially compared to the Crusader tank, which comprised a large portion of the British tank force in Africa until 1942. Uh, the Crusader had similar armament and armor to the Stuart. But while being slower, less reliable, and several tons heavier. Now, we've talked a little bit about the about Crusaders, the Crusaders. And, and how they were breaking down. Uh, the, they had their issues. The, that they had their issues. The U.K. forces are like, hey, these are honey tanks. They're running great and everything. They, they suck gas. Yeah. But, you know, we, we kind of like them. They're faster, and they don't break down as much. So they're wanting them. But they're kind of using them the wrong way. The Stuart also had the advantage of a gun that could deliver high-explosive shells. HE shells were not available for the QF two-pounder mounted by most Crusaders. Now, if you haven't heard our Crusader episode, you need to go back. It it was basically cruiser tanks and Crusaders. I talk in depth about how I hate the two-pounder gun. The two-pounder guns. Yeah, you know, if I have my choice between a thirty-seven. And a two-pounder, always the 37. But the two-pounder didn't even have an HE round. They were just shooting just steel at them. Just regular steel. When they were trying to kill artillery pieces, the Stuart could fire an HE and wipe them out. Wipe them out? Even a machine gun nest. A lot of difference, yeah. You're just shooting a steel round at them. With this two-pounder, it really severely limited their use against uh, emplacements of anti-tank guns or even infantry. They're like, hey, these two-pounder guns aren't doing anything. You need to bring up the Stuarts. And they're like, well, we ran them out of gas and they're sitting here. We'll go ahead and talk about its main drawback. I think I know what it is, though. Yeah, the main drawback of the Stuart was its low fuel capacity and range. Its operational range was only about 75 miles cross-country, and that was roughly half that of the Crusader tank. Because they're using airplane fuel at that time, not the Cadillac, and the airplane fuel's got to be horrible mileage. Oh, man, I guess. But like on a full tank of gas out and they're doing cross country, they're only getting 75 miles to a tank. At 36, uh, mi- at 36 miles an hour, that probably sucks it down pretty mm-hmm. quick. When the U.S. Army joined the North African campaign in late 1942, Stuart tanks uh, still formed a large part of its armor strength. After the disastrous battle of Kasserine Pass, the U.S. quickly followed the British in disbanding most of their light tank battalions and subordinating the Stuarts to medium tank battalions 
performing the traditional cavalry missions of scouting and screening. Which what they were supposed to do. That, that was their job, and, yes. And, uh, we were talking about Operation Torch, Torch in this Battle of Kasserine Pass. This is what we were talking about. They were going down Kasserine Pass, and they had uh, M3 uh, Lees, um, the M3 Stewarts, and the Shermans. Mm-hmm. And instead of using the Stewarts to go out and screen and, and scout and look for these anti-aircraft, you know, these 88 guns and, and where the enemy's at, they were just driving alongside. They just yeah. did one big push, and, and they just caught them out in the open and mm. just tore them up really wow. bad. Afterwards, they were like, oh, well, we're going to do away with this, Stuart. We're just going to make it be a scouting and a screening tank. Well, that's what it was made for. And for the rest of the war, uh, most U.S. tank battalions had three companies of M4 Shermans and one company of M3s or M5s slash M5A1s. Yeah, see, and that's the way it was supposed to be. Your Shermans were your your, your muscle, and you had the Stuarts out there scouting and everything. Kind of like how the Germans kind of had their setup. Like we talked about in the previous episode, the Panzer Threes were supposed to go out first, and when they ran into something heavy, then they brought up the Panzer IVs and the infantries and artillerys and took care of it. What what kind of stuff did uh, what kind of action did the Stuarts see in Europe? Yeah, in Europe, uh, Allied light tanks had to be given cavalry and infantry fire support roles since their main cannon armament could not compete with heavier enemy armored fighting vehicles. And just like we've talked about, they're undergunned. I mean, they're just. No way around it. There, there's just no way you can shoot a, a, a tiger uh, with a steward. No. But you weren't opposed to it. No, that's not what they were designed for. Yeah. In Normandy, Stuarts used the Collins improvised hedgerow cutter in France for Operation Cobra in the summer of 1944. Have you seen the Stuart with the hedgerow cutter? I don't think I've seen a picture of that yet. And uh, what's that? When uh, Craig Moore helps develop that one site, Chanka... Tank, tank Encyclopedia? Oh, yeah, the TankEncyclopedia.com, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He has a picture of that and a painting. You, We need to post that. Okay, we, yeah. When this episode comes out, we need to post yeah, that. Yeah, we will. And uh, basically, it's just like the Shermans. They put the hedgerow cutters on the front of the Shermans. Sweet. But they found out these stewards didn't have any problem just running just through these hedgerows right making big holes. So uh, we'll get a picture of that so you guys can see it. It's actually very cool. And on December 9th of 1944, the 759th Tank Battalion advanced on a hill near Bogheim, but was subjected to a counterattack by German forces. Uh, including a heavy self-propelled assault gun, a Jagdpanther or Tiger, which took over 100 direct hits at ranges as low as 75 yards with no appreciable damage. I think we kind of talked about this. I think it was in our uh, Jag-Tiger episode when the Jag-Tiger was into the town and they were just sitting there shooting at it, shooting at it. They hit this thing 100 times with this 35-millimeter gun it was just bouncing. These guys in the Jag Tiger were like, keep shooting, boys. Keep shooting. Yeah, you're not even keep putting... trying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in World of Tanks, it says, we didn't scratch them. Yeah. We didn't even scratch them. Yeah. And we're like, oh, okay. So after, you know, 100 rounds, you might want to think about changing your tactics. Trying something different. Like yeah. calling in artillery support. In January 1945, a report to General Eisenhower concluded that the Stuart was obsolete. In every respect, as a fighting tank, it just couldn't do anything against damaging any of the German German tanks. Well, unfortunately, that's 
kind of how it goes, you know. True. The Germans had the better armor. I mean, and if you talk to any historian, the Germans were building heavier, bigger tanks, like, you know, the Jag Tiger, like we were talking about, the King Tiger, uh, even the Mouse. I know people want us to do the Mouse episode. Oh, my Lord, I can imagine. That'll That'll be a popular one, I'm sure. But in the Pacific, it was a different deal. At the end of the war, at the, the end, first, yeah. go ahead and explain the Pacific combat history. In the Pacific, the U.S. Army initially deployed 108 Stuart Light tanks to the Philippines in September 1941, and, and that was equipping the U.S. Army's 194th and 192nd tank battalions, and they both those battalions had 54 tanks each. The first U.S. tank versus tank combat to occur in World War II began on December 22, 1941, north of De Mortis, when the American tank battalions equipped with M3 light tanks engaged the Imperial Japanese Army 4th Tank Regiment and the 7th Tank Regiment. The Japan forces consisted of the 4th Tank Regiment. Um, that was under Lieutenant Colonel Kamigaya, and they actually had 38 Type 95 light tanks. And the 7th Japan Tank Regiment, under Colonel Sonada, um, had 34 Type 89 medium tanks, 14 Type 95 light tanks, and two Type 97 medium tanks. The M3 light tank was superior to any Japanese tanks regarding to the armor and firepower. However, the Americans were not prepared for fighting, and they were confused with a sudden war. They tried counterattacks, but they could not stop the Japanese forces, who had naval gun, artillery sport, and air supremacy. What we're talking about, and what we're trying to give you a good example... The Japanese had two regiments. They had 38 of these uh, Type 95 tanks. They had 34 of these Type 89s, 14 of these Type 95s, and two of these 97s. So you add all those up, uh, it's getting close to, you know, almost 100 tanks or over 100 tanks. So the Americans have better tanks, but they're brand new. These kids have never been in any kind of gunfight, and these are guys that are trained battle-hardened, had already seen, you know, combat in uh, China, even against the Russians, uh, even in Korea, uh, their whole invasion of uh, Manchuria and stuff like that. So these are hardened guys, and they know how to do tank tactics, and they're getting backed up by their battleships using naval guns to shoot in inland, sure. and they're using coordinates, and they have the air superiority. So here's these guys that don't even know how to use these tanks and they're out there and they get just whipped by these japanese tanks not because they're better they they're not used to the tactics they they're not combat hardened and when you have you know like the yamamoto battleship shooting rounds 22 miles inland and hitting you you're not going to do real good kind of get your attention yeah so russ after World War II, yeah, we've talked about, you know, in the beginning, you know, the Japanese kind of beat us up because we we're not, weren't familiar. And then we go on to the Satan tank and then the end of the war. After World War II, what kind of use did the Stuarts have? Well, believe it or not, most South American countries received Stuarts after the war, including Brazil, which improved them greatly under the 70s X1A major upgrade. Oh, the X1A. We've actually talked about this. Didn't they upgrade them to like a 90 mil? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'll, I'll let you tell about it. <laughs> Called the Bernardini X1A, 
in the 1970s when the Brazilian army staff asked itself what to do with its fleet of 350 M3A1 and M3A3 stewards acquired from the U.S. starting in 1942 and the rest in 1944-1945. The usual answer would have been to find the near scrapyard or, or dump them for future collectors and museums. I would have been more than happy well, to sure. take one. sure. I've taken one or two off their hands. Uh, I mean, they had 350 of these, and they're just sitting around. And they're like, these are old tanks. We can either scrap them, try to sell them to museums or collectors, or we can upgrade them. So I know many had already been stored, retired, or cannibalized uh, to keep about 100 operational. And then the Bernardini uh, Industrial and Commerce Company of San Paulo. I actually have a friend on Facebook, San Paulo, um, and he's always sending me stuff. His dad's a police officer down there, so he's going to enjoy this Sweet. part. Yeah. Uh, but this company uh, out of San Paulo uh, excelled in moderi- modernizing uh, uh, old military vehicles. Uh, it was well, est- you know, the Stuart was a well established tank, and this company was a well established vehicle manufacturer. So when it earned its first contract, for the modernization of like the M41 Walker Bulldog in service to the M41B and the M41C standards for these new stewards, most of the original hull and chassis were kept on the vehicle. They kept that. However, the superstructure was replaced by new sloped armored manufactured by the Bizzell Company. Uh, this new armor assured protection on the frontal arc against uh, 20 millimeter. Uh, armor-piercing autocannon round. So they redid the front that it stopped a 20-millimeter armor-piercing round. And then for mobility, in order to cope with the added weight, the original American gasoline engine was replaced by a six-cylinder uh, Saab diesel, uh, developing a, uh, like, 280 uh, horsepower. <laughs> they took out a Cadillac yeah. and added a Saab diesel. Go. That's pretty hey. good. And now the vehicle weighed about uh, 15,000 kilograms. Uh, in addition, uh, a new uh, bullet spring suspension uh, was designed to replace the old model. Range was improved. <laughs> you take there out the cat- yeah. Cadillac motor and put in the Saab, you're going to get better mileage. The diesel probably helped a little bit with that, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it did. However, uh, overall, the main armament changes were the most obvious. A brand new welded turret was uh, with sloped arm armor was designed fitted with a french d-e-f-a d 921a 90 f1 90 millimeter so when we said in the prior episodes stewart had a 90 millimeter gun this is where it came this from. is the this is the tank if they had this 90 millimeter at the beginning of the war that would have changed a bunch of things. It but sure it would have. As a low-velocity gun, it never, nonetheless proved able to deal with like the Soviet-built T-54s and 55s uh, shown by uh, the South Africans with their AML uh, Red Ants. It could fire heat, HESH, and uh, APFSDS rounds. This 90mm could shoot some serious ammo and was capable of knocking out a t-54 and a t-55 sounds kind of like a badass for a yeah for a little bitty, little tank. bitty tank yeah in addition uh, uh they had a brand new fire control uh system uh designed by df vascola was installed in order to improve uh the first hit cap- capability and these m5s were still in uh active service and were documented as far as 1996 so incredible you know, it really is that they extended the life of them that long. 
they improved the front armor that it could take a 20 millimeter armor piercing hit and they came up with this new welded turret and they put a 90 millimeter gun on it we we will put some pictures of this out so you can see these uh they do exist folks yeah yeah. so but my question is maybe if we've got any listeners out there that could give us an idea of where we can maybe find one of these in the future to go check out we have listeners in brazil you know, if you know where one of these 90 millimeter Stewarts are, we would love to find out where it's at so we can tell people where to go. And if we ever did get down to Brazil for Carnival, ah. <laughs> we have ran a little long and I apologize, but we do really enjoy talking about flame tanks. Flame tanks. <laughs> Satan. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that's our devil episode. Oh, oh no. Um, but uh, let's do our closing. Yeah, as always, you can contact us through email at twotankersandcat at gmail.com. The best place to follow us and check out to see what we're doing all the time is on Facebook. Just do a search for Two Tankers and Cat Podcast on Facebook, and you'll be able to find our page. And make sure you give us a like. We are getting out there on that quite a bit more than what we did when we started out. So, And the more we get the word out that our podcast is out there, the better off we'll be. Especially, let's get out in North Dakota. North Dakota, folks. Remember <laughs> that. If you know anybody up there, have them download. So at least we've got one download from up there. No doubt. Well, until next time, this is Charlie. And this is Russell. Happy tanking and have a great day. Happy tanking.